Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Out of thankfulness to God for giving us his word, when I finish the reading, I will conclude by saying, this is the word of the Lord. And we invite you all to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you who has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, where they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil and the one who hears the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kelly, for reading for us. So, uh, as Pastor Ian said, my name is Brandon. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I do want to acknowledge we have uh, our kingdom kids in the room this morning, and as Pastor Ian said, it's graduation Sunday. So, parents, if you could help us out. Elementary kids, you're going to stay in service with us. We have some clipboards in the connection room if you need to grab one of those, or that would be helpful. Uh, Preschool, we have on this side. So, parents, if you could help preschool, and some of you might be going there for the first time. And elementary, we have on this side. Um, Again, parents, if you could help us with that so everyone gets where they need to go, that would be helpful. All right. So, how many people in here, just by way of hand, have learned a new language besides the one or two they grew up knowing? Maybe tried to learn, tried to learn a new language. So, you guys know, when you first are starting out, You learn a few words, maybe numbers, and depending on who's teaching you, uh, maybe some or, if not, all of the swear words in those languages. Uh, Now, at this point in the process, it's fun, but I don't think anyone would classify themselves as knowing a language 
if this is all they could do, would they? No, but as you progress, you get to a stage where you're more or less conversational. Uh, maybe not fluent-fluent, but you're, you're translating things in your head, and you're able to more or less uh, hang or keep up. Now, the danger in this stage is that the native thinker or the native speaker, uh, they might be fooled into thinking you understand way more than you do, don't they? No, you can hear the noises. You can hear words. You maybe recognize some of them, but you do not understand the idea that is rapidly coming out of their mouth, right? Anyone had that experience? I know I have. So some of you in here, you didn't raise your hand. Uh, maybe you haven't tried learning a new language. So this analogy kind of maybe foreign or falls on deaf ears. But I would say all of us at some level have had this experience. Someone begins talking about a topic or a subject that you don't know anything about. Maybe it's sports or graphic design or if you're Pastor Ian, AV technology. People start talking about it, and it's like they're using a completely new language. But you know they're speaking English. A really practical example I heard this week, I thought it was helpful, was a political cartoon. What happens in a, in a political cartoon? If you're aware of the current news or the current headlines, uh, you get what they're talking about. It can be really funny. But if you aren't aware of anything that's happening in the news, it probably is just going to be like nonsense to you, isn't it? So... Now, when we turn to the Bible, specifically our passage today, looking at the parables of Jesus, this is a bit of a similar experience in a lot of ways. While we could all admit Christianity is a significant ideological movement throughout history, the parable today is hinting that something is happening internally when we interact with Jesus that goes beyond basic recognition and into deeper understanding. You see... Just like languages, there is a way to listen and not really hear. There is a way to perceive what is going on and not understand. Our passage this morning is inviting us to truly hear the gospel, hear the story of Jesus, and respond accordingly in all of life. And so that leads us to our main idea from the text this morning, and it is simply this. We must consider if we have rightly heard the gospel and are responding to Jesus accordingly. Now, before we dive in, it would be appropriate to pause, pray, ask the Lord to bless our time together. So would you please uh, pray with me. Father, you are the God who speaks and things happen. You are mighty and powerful and yet you are kind in how you reveal yourself to us. Lord, would you be with us this morning as we open your word and seek to rightly hear and rightly understand? Would you continue to reveal yourself to us in ways that we can grasp in our lives and respond to accordingly? Father, would you help us to rightly view Jesus as Lord? Jesus, would you be worshipped and glorified in and through us this morning? And Holy Spirit, would you ignite and illuminate our hearts to hear and understand. Father, help me to be concise with my words this morning as well. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's, uh, if you have uh, scriptures with you, there are some Bibles in the pew backs if you don't, um, if you have it on your phone. Uh, let's look back at the text together, picking up in verse 1. It says this, again, 
he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. So, up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, and arguably, I would say, the entire Gospel of Mark, the main point of the book, or the aim of his writing, has been to show the authority of Jesus as the Christ, or the Messiah. Whether through acts of miracles like we've seen in healing the paralytic, or teaching with true authority and wisdom to the spiritual elite of the day, all of Jesus' life is pointing to the fact that he is in fact God and he is in fact Lord. He's the incarnate God. He's come on a rescue mission to seek and save the lost, redeeming a broken world. But to put it in context, this doesn't make complete sense to those around him because it doesn't look like how anyone expected. At the beginning of our passage today, it tells us that Jesus is somewhat counterintuitively teaching in parables to people who are following after him. This was unexpected and misunderstood in many ways. Understanding parables, therefore, is going to be important for us as well so, the, so that we don't misunderstand what is happening. In fact, about one-third of all of Jesus' teaching recorded in the Bible were in parables. So if you aren't familiar with the term, it could probably be most simply translated as a story. If you want a more technical definition, uh, Vincent Taylor is helpful. He, he describes it as a metaphor or he describes a parable when a metaphor or story connected with the affairs of daily life is used as an illustration of moral and spiritual truths on the assumption that what applies in one sphere is relevant also in the others. So in our text today, we'll see uh, that done by using the story of a farmer, a sower, and tying that into the kingdom of God. So keep that in mind as we uh, work through our text. Jared Wilson, uh, I found him also helpful. Uh, he has a, a book, uh, The Storytelling God. I could have put like a thousand quotes from it up here, um, but we're just going to start with this one. Uh, he sets the stage when talking about parables. He says, when Jesus teaches a parable, he is not opening up chicken soup for the soul or a fortune cookie, but, listen to this, a window to the hidden heavenlies. He is revealing a glimpse of eternity crashing into time, a flash photo of his own wisdom brought to bear. The parables give us a direct portal to the kingdom of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. It's beautiful. And this is how we ought to approach our text this morning. It is a portal to the kingdom of God. It is a glimpse of eternity, a flash photo, right? If Jesus is who the scriptures are implying he is, we ought to be listening at the very least. And as we will see this morning, by God's grace, in that listening, we might hear and respond rightly. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's continue on with what he says here, picking up the parable in verse 3. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. 
and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds, they fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So as the crowds gathered around him, Jesus begins to teach them with a parable, right, using a story that would have been familiar and relevant in their context. He is describing a type of farming called broadcast farming. Now, I don't know a ton about it, to be fair, uh, but from what I've read, it's a type of farming where seed is scattered somewhat randomly by hand, and it lands in these different places. And so in the parable, there are four places in particular that this seed lands. So the farmer, walking in his field, would have seed most likely hanging from his neck and just reaching in and tossing out seed. He would throw it somewhat aimlessly into the field. And then he would come back later with a, with a plow or an animal and would sow it into the ground. Right? So that's what's happening, or at least what I've read is what was happening. So let's briefly touch on these four outcomes or possibilities uh, described. First, uh, if you look back at the text, it says, Some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Second, some seeds fell on rocky ground. It grew quickly and then withered. And was scorched since it had no root. Third, some seeds fell among thorns and they choked out the seed. It yielded no grain. And then lastly and importantly, some seeds fell into good soil. Produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So when we zoom out, before we zoom in on these parables, let's zoom out of these parables and look around our own world. Your world doesn't seem to be flourishing in many ways, does it? We don't see world peace and shalom in every area of life. All seeds are not accepted, all plants are not flourishing, and all people do not sprout forth a hundredfold. We might then, as we look around, intuitively begin to ask the question, why is this so? You see, Pastor Ian already touched on it this morning. We all, to one degree or another, feel or have that haunting sense that things just aren't the way they are supposed to be, are they? Jesus, in this parable, is hinting at that reality too. He's even shining a light beyond it, making sense of it, by saying that there are, in fact, two ways to hear him. And in it, we must consider if we indeed are hearing him rightly. You see the first three options described for all their differences and nuance and uniqueness. They all lead to the same thing, no fruit. But the fourth option, it brings forth a yield beyond the farmers and our own wildest dreams of flourishing. We can be honest with ourselves this morning. We all desperately want to be in that fourth group. Whether we view ourselves as there already or not, we desire to be among the flourishing, whatever that means for you. And Jesus seems to be presenting an invitation into that. But it must be done through him. So as you consider Jesus' words this morning, let me ask you plainly, do you hear him? Is he Lord or is he an add-on accessory? Is he the central figure 
around which your whole life revolves, or are you in ways attempting to get him to orbit around you? As Ian and Andrew shared with us in the bonus podcast from last week, uh, Jesus will not be thwarted, and he will not be chained or contained. So let me ask you again, do you have ears to hear? I found Donald English, he's an author and commentator of the scriptures, he's helpful. It's a little bit of a longer quote, but it should be on the screen for you and I'll read it. Yeah, it's long, sorry guys, sorry guys. (laughs) Thanks Andrew. One aim, this is Donald English, he says, one aim in using this method is to encourage serious, persistent, perceptive faith. That's basically all you need to get out of that. But he says, the emphasis on seriousness was necessary because hearing Jesus seems to have become one of the things to do at the time. Crowds begot crowds, and there was enough excitement in the healings, exorcisms, and controversy to keep them coming. The parable requires seriousness if we are to begin to grasp its meaning, hence the listen in verse 3. Persistence was also important. There were plenty of wandering teachers and miracle workers all around. The parabolic method of teaching did not pander to the casual, half-hearted listener. The hearer had to work at it and continue with it. Perception was needed too. Since, at face value, the stories were about, the, about things that just everybody in the crowd already knew. Unless there was some veiled meaning, they were innocuous, even shallow tales. Yet the perceptive saw more than was obvious. So I'm sorry, that was a long text, uh, or a long, a long uh, quote. Um, you probably didn't think you were going to have to read this morning, but it's there for you. And I think, it, I think it is helpful. I think it's hinting at the point, or illustrating the point I was attempting to make. And so, if this is the potential aim of the parable, this leads us to our second part, which is the purpose of the parable that we're finding in verses 10 through 12. We can read that now. The text says, When he was alone, those around him with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now we can recognize this is a hard section for us. We can acknowledge that up front, but It's also a key section. It's a key section in this whole parable, and I would argue it's a key section for understanding the gospel itself. It's challenging for a variety of reasons, but on the surface, it appears to use exclusive language, insider-outsider type language that we typically don't normally like, do we? It makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Well, it was also challenging to the disciples I would add. They just didn't quite get it. And at times it appeared like they completely missed Jesus. And yet, what we see throughout the Gospel of Mark is Jesus reframing their understanding both of who he is and in fact what he came to do and how he came to do it. And so for us, we might just need to sit in some of that uncomfortability and let him reframe our own thinking. So how does this section sit with you? Do you like the parable and the explanation but just not quite get this part so you tend to skim over it? Now, 
I would also add, there, there may be a reason for this, and one is practical, we'll talk about, and, and one is also theological. And so the, the practical one is this, the, the literary device common to Mark's gospel, uh, commentators have dubbed the Markin sandwich, he, he uses it here. And this is when Mark starts a story, like he did in verses 1 through 9, and then inserts, takes a, a, a author liberties, I guess you could say, and inserts it into the middle of it, and then continues on in the story. So think about a sandwich, right? Pastor Ian, I think, has explained this before. It's bread, good stuff, bread. And so the, the good stuff in the middle explains or provides clarity for the outer stuff. That's what we have right here in verses 10 through 12. And so he says, to you has been what? Given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So thinking back to our example we started with, understanding languages or making sense of a political cartoon, there are ways to hear and not really hear. To see Jesus and never really see him. This reality is what Jesus is hinting at for his disciples and for us. So ultimately, what I'm getting at is that inside of our world, inside of God's world, right, there is two kingdoms and two people. And yet God is the rightful king who rules and reigns. And graciously, God does reveal himself. And by his grace, some are invited in to his kingdom. But fundamentally, our ability to respond must be given. We see that in verse 11. We must be given eyes to see and ears to hear. God is completely sovereign over this act. And apart from it happening, we'll fall into one of the first three categories of the parable. You see, this theme, it runs all throughout Scripture, and for us, is a fundamental truth of the gospel. Somewhat mysteriously, God is doing two things. He is simultaneously concealing and revealing reality to the world. If you think about this a, a little bit more, we know this to be true experientially as well. and It should not shock us. We see this played out in the life of the church all over the world throughout history. The fact of the matter is that the same gospel that has transformed and captivated people's lives, causing them to worship the living God, is the same gospel that has simultaneously angered and disgusted and bored many others who reject it. So it is true now. That is true now. We can see that in our world, and it was true then as well. If you think back to our Ecclesiastes series, there truly is nothing new under the sun. So I would also add that the heart of this problem, the heart of the problem that Jesus is getting at and that I'm trying to make this morning is that our own hearts are hardened and our ears are deaf. But, as I've said, by God's grace, the sun that hardens clay or dirt into clay can also melt wax. And so the word of God offends the resistant and the rebellious while simultaneously and enthusiastically being received by the receptive. We all need that grace of God to act as the sun 
and melt the wax, soften the wax to receive reality. So I would say there is one God. There is one reality, one gospel, and yet two people who exist in two very different kingdoms. To the first group, the gospel is concealed right there on the outside, and they do not understand, and they cannot understand. This is a hard truth for us, but Paul, writing to the churches in Corinth and Colossae, picks up on this theme. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says this, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And to the second group of people, the gospel is revealed to those given. And they're able to hear and respond with repentance and faith. Again, Paul is helpful um, in Colossians 1.27. He says this, To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I'm going to quote my guy Donald English again. It's not as long, so just bear with me. He says this. He says, Parables alone will not produce faith. Otherwise, all who hear would believe. Parables are an invitation to faith, as is the gospel itself. Neither parables in particular, nor the gospel in general, enforce or ensure faith. What is required is the secret of the kingdom of Jesus. Without that, the parables will simply go on frustrating the hearers, for they will mistake the signpost for the destination, the shadow for the reality, the metaphor for truth. See, family, we, we don't simply need good theology about God. We actually need Jesus himself as Christ. Yeah, we need his fully human, fully divine, perfectly sinless life, his substitutionary atoning death, his eternal resurrection. In other words, we need the full gospel. Furthermore, we don't simply need a, a loving community that does good, but we are in fact becoming a loving community that is good as we look to Christ and abide in him. We are thus, as we do this, united and secured to him, in him, and through him. So don't miss the forest for the trees, and don't miss Jesus for what he is. I'll say it clearly. Jesus is the Christ, and he is inviting us to make, a, make him our Lord. And that changes everything if we have ears to hear and hearts to respond. So our last point today is the explanation Jesus gives for the parables, which I've called uh, the particulars of the parable. You can follow along. We're going to just read it straight through. This is verse 13 through 20. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for things, other things, enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word 
and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So Jesus is extremely helpful for us here. He doesn't always do this, but he gives his disciples an explanation of the parable. As we've already said, we see four types of soil and thus four types of hearing that are happening at the heart level. We're just going to look briefly at these four quickly. The first one says that the soil of the heart is hardened. In this, uh, the seed is immediately rejected and devoured by birds who we're told represent Satan. So running it through this parable or this story test, this is saying that the word of God is shared and immediately rejected. It bounces off people's lives like the seed bounces off a hardened clay path. Now, in this time, they, they didn't use concrete, and these paths would have been formed by people repeatedly walking on the ground over and over, compacting the dirt down. There would have been a familiarity with these sections, right? And yet, it is in these places and in these spaces that the seed can't find a foothold. And so in an expansion of thought that Ian preached for us last week, there is a way to approach the word of God like the self-righteous that never leads to life. I've heard it said that the gospel is simultaneously the most inclusive and the most exclusive way of life. It is open to any and all who would lay down their life and follow him, but they must in fact follow him and him alone. The sobering reality about this is that there is a way to actually be somewhat overexposed and busy in the Christian community and with Christian activity that we never hear the gospel. Charles Spurgeon, he says it uh, way better than I could. He says it like this. This is profound, guys. Listen to this. He says, there is such a thing as being gospel-hardened. It is possible to sit under sermons till your heart becomes dead and callous, never startled, never astonished. You come to church, but the tear doesn't trickle down your cheek. Your soul never seems to mount up to heaven on the wings of praise, nor deep mourning over sin. Your heart is iron, unless God himself shall be pleased to crack it in sunder with an earthquake or with a heartquake. There will never be room for the seed of heaven to lodge there. Let me ask you again. Do you have ears to hear? The second example we see of the soil is soil that is shallow. Now in this result, the seed, it avoids the path and immediate rejection. It lands in what could potentially be good soil, but it's just too rocky. The seed never gets beyond the surface. It's not immediately rejected. It begins to take hold, but never in a really significant way. So for us, it, it isn't laughed at. It isn't made to look completely ridiculous. It's just simply too shallow. And then when a small trial or persecution comes, it shows its lack of depth and lack of sincerity. It turns away. It is a faith that does not endure. Persecution comes in all shapes and sizes, family. We know this. It might hit you hard or it might be a slow, painful pull in your life. If you feel that strain in any way, the reality is, and listen to this, you can go to Christ in your persecution, in your trials, and in your suffering. Don't run from him, but run to him. 
and allow your roots to grow deeper. The third uh, option here we see in the parable is a soil of a heart that is distracted. So for me, this third option is probably the hardest to see and experience in my own life. Many of you may have people or experiences in your life uh, that bring up painful thoughts when we think in this third category. I know for myself, I can think of a few people I greatly fear are falling into this. The cares of the world and the desires for things are choking out the word and it is proving unfruitful. This is hard for us because it has the appearance of good soil, right? It lands and it grows and it looks healthy, but it gets choked out. It never yields grain. This can be disheartening and disorienting for us who call ourselves Christians. But there are no shortcuts in life, and the true telltale sign of faithfulness is fruit. Whether we like it or not, it is a persevering endurance in our lives. You see, we make lousy judges, and we mistake fruit for thorns all the time. But if the soil is the heart, whatever has most deeply captured its affections will inevitably win out. You see, it's, it's, it's not that you can't care about other things. Don't mishear me. Jesus doesn't make other things matter less. The gospel rightly heard causes us to rightly prioritize our loves. Yeah, Jesus must be at the center of it all with everything else falling in order around him. And so in all three of these options, what we seem to have is a depth issue. The word is sown and it doesn't seem to get deep enough. It doesn't seem to be all-encompassing enough to endure. So, what do we see in our last option? Well, we see a soil of the heart that is fruitful. So a key phrase in this whole parable is found in verse 20. It says this, it says, The good soil are the ones who hear the word and, what? Accept it and bear fruit. This is the difference between this soil and all the other soil. It hears Jesus and it accepts him for who he is, not who they want him to be. This is the only response to the gospel that leads to life. This response, as I've said, unites us and secures us firmly in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, we abide in life. So there's a receptiveness to the soil. The seed is accepted, it takes root, and it bears fruit. So question for us to wrestle with this morning is how do we know if the gospel has taken root? Well, I would put forth that we need to continue to be humble and honest with God, especially about our sin. But we also need to be humble and honest as we look back over our life and over time and can you see clear gospel fruit? Do you see a difference in your life that looks anything like Christ-likeness? And so what this is not saying, by any means, is that you need to be perfect. But do you see a change? Are other people seeing a change? Is that change enduring in your life? See, we don't simply need just a profession of faith, but we need a perseverance of that same faith. So for those here today, do you have ears to hear? Where does that leave us? We'll put forth, let's do what only Christians can do. Let's look to Jesus. He was 
in himself the seed for us and therefore for our flourishing. John 12 says it this way. It says, truly, truly, this is Jesus talking. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What is he talking about? Jesus is foretelling this story, his story. Jesus Christ went into a ground, went into the ground. He died, and right now he is bearing fruit in the world in and through his people, his body, his church. This is the gospel. This is what we must wrestle with this morning. So family, hear me. Jesus is making all things new. The gospel alone is the power to save, transform, and bring forth life from death. It applies to all people, in all places, at all times. So the question this morning I'll leave you with is, how is the gospel speaking to you today? How might the Holy Spirit, in fact, be stirring you right now to respond? My challenge I would lay, for, lay forth for you is this. Be greedy for the word. Go after it, grab hold of it, and do not let it go like a starving man who's found bread. Seize it. All your might. Cherish it for life-sustaining food that it is. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we ask that you would help us to rightly desire, to rightly hear, and to rightly understand and respond. Would you help us to apply your gospel truth in our lives over and over and over again, season after season, sowing the word of truth into us, that in safety and security of your love, we might be conformed into your image. Father, would you humble us enough so that we might hear what flourishing truly is, we quite simply cannot do it on our own, and we thank you for the grace that meets us in our deepest need. Father, would the seeds sown this morning run deep? Would you give us the ears we need to hear and respond? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.